Hey everyone, today's episode is a conversation with a cult survivor. The leader of this cult is a convicted rapist, so the conversation is very heavy. There are trigger warnings for coercive control, eating disorders, sexual assault and abuse of all kinds. So if you are sensitive to any of these topics, please give this one a miss. And there are also going to be resources in the show notes. So very, very heavy one, but I think much needed. A listener production. This podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Hey everyone, today's episode is a little bit um, different to our usual content, but it's something that I was really interested in. I came across a TikTok um, of our guest today. Her name is Liz and she is a cult survivor. I was absolutely taken back by the bit of her story that I got to see on TikTok. She's absolutely incredible, so articulate and just has an awful story to tell. It's an incredible story, but it's not not positive. Um, But it's just amazing the advocacy that she's been doing on TikTok uh, for cult survivors and destigmatizing people that have been in cults and and kind of showing uh, the reality of how you can so easily um, get into one of these organizations. So we're just calling her Liz today, no surname. Here she is. Hey, Liz, how are you? Hi. Hi, Abby. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Lem. Hello. Um, thank you for having me on your oh, show. Right. It's such a privilege. Oh, no worries. I'm so glad that you could have the time to come in. I mean, I saw your TikTok about being in a cult. You've done obviously quite a few. Mm. And I watched the Channel 7 Spotlight oh, did you? episode or hour-long documentary. You can see that on um, YouTube if anyone's yep. um, looking into it. Yeah. And I was just absolutely shocked by... Not only what you went through and how you were recruited, but also how your grace and dignity around talking about this and I know how strong you are to be able to speak about it so, so beautifully and how much you obviously do want to speak about this for the, for the betterment of others. So I was really excited to have you on. Thank you so much. That's really nice. <laughs> so... The cult, the cult that you were in has a few different names, doesn't it? It's yep. Providence is the is the main name that I've seen thrown around. Yep. There's also JMS, Jesus Morning Star. Correct, yep. And then it's the, what's the church under a charity name in Australia? Uh, uh, they have many. There's so, many. Yes. Uh, so they basically, the way that they fly under the radar is that mm. they create a different ABN per state, per church. And so, and there's no way, there's no real paper trail or meaningful paper, paper trail to track mm. them back to the actual organisation that they are, which is a cult. Is that because they get their different members to do different ABNs? Yes. It's different people. Right, so there's no, yeah. like, one person that's doing all of this. It's all different members that have been indoctrinated. Yeah. As far as I understand, yes. Wow. So there's lots of different names to this place. We'll get into the the charity aspect of it later on because it's a whole other issue that was really focused on in the Spotlight episode on Channel yeah. 7. But let's go back to the start and speak about you being recruited? Because it's quite an insidious story of how they recruited you. Yeah, uh, totally. So essentially, like it was, it's a long process. So no one gets brainwashed right out the gate. It doesn't Mm. take a few days. It takes months. And for me, it took about five or six months Mm. from beginning meeting them to being fully indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. 
And it was a very uh, strategic kind of cunning process. And they have these things down pat. So it's the same psychologically coercive techniques that um, are used in terrorist organisations, in high control governments, in mm-hmm. abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all these dynamics are the same. It's coercive control. Mm-hmm. But they start out really benign. And so what happened with me was I just finished year 12 and I was in my gap year. So I was 18 at the time and I was at the mall with a friend and I had been approached by a lady who was asking me to do a survey and I was kind of in a hurry. So I was Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I'll just get her, you know, I'll finish this quickly and we'll be done and I can move on. Mm -hmm. And it had a few questions. She said, I'm a student, I'm studying at university and I'm studying Australian culture. So I thought I'll help her out. I did the survey and at the very bottom there was a question in there that asked, are you religious? Mm-hmm. If, if so, what is it? And I answered and I was raised very Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one vulnerability that I had among many that made me more susceptible to being recruited by a religious cult. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, not every cult is religious. But she she really latched onto the question at the end. So I'd written, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. And uh, she goes, oh, wow, uh, you're a Christian. We have another survey because I'm studying Australian religion as well. Can I email you that survey? And it was in my best interest to say, okay, because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to fill out another survey on the spot. So she emailed it to me and I filled it out and she came back with the response, which was, oh, wow, your answers are so pure. And I thought that was a bit intense. And Mm. she wanted to meet up and talk about it. And I kind of put her off. I was like, this is is pretty intense. I just wanted to help you Mm -hmm. do the survey and move on. But then I was approached in the same manner in a completely different mall in another shopping centre, like on my lunch break from my part-time job. And she tried to get me to do the same survey. So a different person, different mm -hmm. location, different time. So you'd kind of stop speaking to the first person. Yes. And then it happened again to you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So they target a specific type of person. And and Mm -hmm. for this cult, because the leader is a serial rapist, he's Mm -hmm. previously convicted, spent 10 years in prison and and we're in the process of trying to reconvict him and send him back Mm -hmm. to prison for the rest of his life. But so they have a specific type of person in mind, which is a, you know, tall, typically good looking young woman. Mm -hmm. And so they, they target these people on purpose. And so this second lady approached me, also said she was at university, also said she was studying Australian culture. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I've already done this survey. Mm. And she's like, what's your name? And I said, oh, it's Liz. And she started like jumping up and down and being like, oh my God, Liz, I know you. I've seen your answers. They're amazing. And I was Mm. like, okay, well. Um, And she also wanted to invite me to something. So she said, uh, we're running like a Christian art group. Mm -hmm. And I I grew up very passionate about my faith. So Mm. I'm I'm no longer religious. um, And that's been a whole process Mm. of its own. But I was always looking for, you know, Christian communities to connect with. It's just, you know, a human need for belonging and, mm-hmm. and purpose. And and so she said, I'll send you some photos of the art that we're doing. And she did, and they were amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I eventually agreed to catch up with them for coffee. And I do break down the story much better in my TikToks, mm-hmm. um, in which I include the whole process. And I, I talk about it from a psychological standpoint as mm-hmm. well. But essentially what happened was I met up with them. I thought they were wonderful. And we began to build a relationship. And cults, have, like I said, a very strategic way of getting to know people. And I can tell you what that looks like from the inside, but from the outside, what it felt like was these people are so loving and so interested in me and also so passionate about their faith. By the way, neither of these women who approached me in the mall were at university at all. Mm -hmm. That was 
that was a lie. And that's pretty common for them too. They'll mm. pretend to be at university, pretend to be students so that they can target people on campuses, which is mm. where, you know, people are most likely to be in a transient phase of life, mm. more naive, more vulnerable, perhaps lonelier mm-hmm. and get them that way. So eventually agreed to do Bible studies with them. Mm-hmm. All the while I'm being love bombed and invited to things and spending less time with my family and other friends and Mm -hmm. spending more time with them because they just, they filled my cup. They made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. And that is the love bombing phase. Um, And eventually over time, and I have many stories that I could, that Mm -hmm. I could tell you. So please feel free to ask. Oh, tell us, give us some examples. Um, Well, okay. So for example, they kept from me who they really represented for months and went to extreme lengths to keep that from me because they know that if people Google the group, they'll find so mm. much dirt. And so I, for months, didn't know who they represented mm-hmm. because it was a front group. It was a, it was an organisation that wasn't tied to any other. So I thought they were Canberra Love Church. And so they kept that from me. At one point, we went uh, to Melbourne to visit some members there. And I remember, and this was still in the honeymoon phase. So mm-hmm. I was being love bombed. I was being, they treated me like the sunshine out of my ass. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to the church in Melbourne and it was full of these, you know, tall, beautiful model-like women. And we were there to do a fashion show and they did modelling and they framed it as, as with the art group, as with any other front group that they have, they frame it as this is a way that we give glory to God. We love to give glory to God in any type of way. You know, walking the catwalk is just, you know, presenting yourself beautifully before God. It's It sounds so... But, but I guess it's kind, now. I guess it's kind of like as a young person, you'd yeah. think this is kind of the modern way of being involved in Christianity, right? Like totally. things like Catholicism. Like mm. I went to a Catholic school, and did you? It seems yeah. so outdated. Yeah, and maybe it's like why um, Hillsong and evangelical churches are so popular because they're kind yes. of a quote unquote new take on Christianity. So 100%. You, I understand. It, I know you're saying it sounds silly, but I don't think it sounds silly at all. I think it sounds yeah. like you'd think as an 18-year-old, this is like a modern way that I can be involved in something that I'm already involved in, Christianity. Totally. No, you hit the nail on the head. Like that is exactly what it is. And they are trying to appeal to to a younger demographic. And so mm-hmm. they're making it current and, you know, and relevant. And uh, and so this was a modelling show that we'd arranged. And I, I have my own experiences in mega churches as well. I went to Bible college oh. for two years after I came out of the cult so that I could try and heal. And that was ultimately what got me to see that the same dynamics played out in that space and leave. Mm -hmm. But when I went to Melbourne, there was one person who was assigned to me and I just, I just thought she really liked me, Um, (laughs) but she was actually assigned to me. So she was my friend in Canberra in that church and she hung by me. She stayed by my side for the entire duration of the trip. And that would have been about four days. So the reason that I found out when I, when I had been fully indoctrinated, I found out later that she'd been assigned to me so that she could basically gatekeep any information that other members might accidentally let slip. Okay. Because if they had made a comment that I hadn't been, you know, I wasn't fully indoctrinated, I didn't know JMS, I didn't know Providence, mm-hmm. if they'd said anything weird, I would have been like, hang on, what, what does that mean? What mm-hmm. are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so she was there the whole time, just making sure and, you know, putting people off if they started to say the wrong thing or go down the wrong path. And it was to the point that on the last day we had a church service on the Sunday and they do this as a normal practice. 
crafted an entire church service that was completely fake. So fake sermon, you know, fake songs that were Christian, not Mm. the songs they normally sing, completely fake service talking about traditional Christianity Mm -hmm. because they knew that I hadn't learned the truth yet. And so that was five months in that I was still experiencing, you know, all of this was totally concealed. So they were were kind of creating and catering a service around what you would be vulnerable to. Correct. Wow. How many people were in this service? Oh, like 20, 30. Wow. Okay. And all all of the rest of them were members, but that is how... That is how strategic they are when it comes to recruiting new people. And I, I know what it's like from the inside as well, mm-hmm. because every single person in the organisation is tasked with recruitment. And I think an important distinction to make is that there's a big difference between recruiters and groomers. So you've got mm-hmm. recruiters, everyone's tasked with recruiting, and they are fully indoctrinated and they think that they are on a mission to save people, mm-hmm. to bring people into the truth. And then you've got groomers who understand what they're bringing people in for and who Jong Myung Suk is um, and how dangerous he is. And they are intentionally recruiting women to groom them for him. Okay. So there's a big distinction there. And it does get kind of messy in the mm-hmm. middle where there's a grey area, you know, a fine line between victim and perpetrator. Mm. You know, when, when do you cross the line and become a perpetrator? But for the majority of us, we're just recruiting innocently thinking that we're trying to save people's lives. And there's this idea of heavenly deception, which is that the end justifies the means. Mm -hmm. So if you are ultimately trying to save people's souls, any form, any method you employ to get Mm -hmm. them to believe, Mm -hmm. whether it's deception, whether it's manipulation, is justified because Mm. ultimately you're saving them and you are aware in your understanding that the same process happened to you. So... Mm you're willing to do the same for other people because you think that's what saved me. And gosh, it's like, I try to imagine what someone who doesn't know much about coercion and cults would be thinking, listening Mm. to me talking, because it's Mm. so, it's so bizarre, right? Mm. But from, from the inside, I remember we used to get up at about 2am every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were sleep deprived. We we were only allowed to sleep about four hours a night. Oh, my God. Is this when you were um, living, were you living all together at this point? Yeah. How yep. far in are you living with everyone? Oh, about eight months. Eight months, okay. Yeah. So when you yeah. all live together in a, in a house together? Correct. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, I've skipped ahead. I've skipped no, a no, big, no, no. big portion. Oh, no. <laughs> but just to give you this example, yeah. so basically um, we would get up about 2 a.m. We'd pray for a few hours. We had to get dressed up to pray. Like okay. we, we were constantly made to how good you looked was a very big part of the cult's values and now I know why. Um, Dressed in your own clothes or in clothes that were given to you or? In our own clothes but we were told what to buy and what to wear and there were certain things we were allowed to wear, certain things we Mm -hmm. weren't. And so we'd get up, we'd pray for a couple of hours and then we would have a morning service every morning Mm -hmm. and we often had one in the morning, one at night where we would basically have a church service. And then after the morning service, our head leader who I believe was a groomer, and I won't mention her name, Mm -hmm. she would pull out a literal, like a whiteboard. And she would have the names of every single person that that any of us were meeting in the hopes of recruiting them on this whiteboard. And she'd systematically go through and point out each of the names. And she would speak to the person who was speaking to that often woman in the cult. And she'd say things like, what do they value? Are they religious? You know, what, what's their value system look like? What do they care about? 
And then she would drill down further and go, what are their vulnerabilities? Mm -hmm. What are their traumas? Get them to open up about their traumas. What problems do they need solving? Like it's, it's an absolutely horrific kind of it's specifically seeking out vulnerabilities. Yeah, it's a real process, like a checklist to yes. find people. And that's universal for cults. That is how yeah. strategic they are. And so she would go through and ask those questions and then she would say to the person who was meeting with them, make sure you f you make her feel like we have the answers to those problems. Design all of your materials that you speak to her with around answering the questions that she has or addressing the traumas that she has. And if she felt that the member in, in the group that was assigned to her wasn't the appropriate member to best target those weaknesses or vulnerabilities, then she would assign them to someone else. So what are some examples of vulnerabilities like yeah. lack of parents or lack of, lack of social structure or, or what sort of things were they looking for? Yeah. Oh, there's this funny idea that cults target people who are gullible mm. or stupid or mentally unwell mm -hmm. and it's actually the opposite. So mm -hmm. they target people who are mentally stable mm -hmm. and they target people who are capable and intelligent and that's because, A, that means that they'll be able to withstand the abuse much better and mm -hmm. also when they represent the cult, that's credit to the cult because if they have a bunch of people going out who are come across as not very smart, people mm -hmm. are less likely to believe in the cause, right? So they target people who are smart but they target these people when they're in vulnerable phases of life. It could be anything from, yeah, being far from home, um, having a difficult home life, fresh out of a breakup, mm -hmm. maybe you just lost a loved one. Mm -hmm. You may have been recovering from an illness, like I was recovering from an eating disorder at the time. Mm. Uh, people who are lonely, any kind of psychological vulnerability that you might have, that's what they'll they'll go after. And we know other cults do this. For example, um, there's an, there's one cult that I won't mention that, and they're universal. They troll the death notices after a family member has died. They will seek out members of that family and door knock on their doors because they know that they're going to be psychologically vulnerable, suggestible state of mind. So it's scary, you know, how, how cunning they are. It's interesting because the things you've listed there, just the five things, I think yeah. everyone listening will have been through something similar, totally. if not right now, in their past. Like mm. so many people live in a perpetual state of vulnerability. Yes. And it's interesting you said that people who are smarter or are more aware of what's going on could handle the abuse more. What, yeah. why, why is that and what do you mean by that? So maybe smart is the wrong term, but more sort of like they want people who are um, influential or like a bit being sure. able to influence? Yeah. Yes, definitely influential. They want people with charisma for sure. Um, but they want people who are, you know, mentally strong. They want people mm. who are able to withstand high levels of stress because mm. they put you through incredibly high levels of stress. Like they, they tax every part of you. Mm. In the cult, our routine was, yeah, four hours of sleep a night, if not less. We prayed for hours a day. We would evangelise for hours a day, go out in the street and meet people. We had, you know, many, many chores and jobs that they got us to do because cults keep people busy. That mm -hmm. stops you from being able to critically think. And sleep deprivation stops you from... hungry. Hungry. They were starving us at one point. And they also psychologically abuse you systematically and, you know, they, they humiliate you in front of the other members. They, they do whatever they can to break your sense of self down mm -hmm. and, and make you put think you're fundamentally flawed and put your complete trust in that organisation or group. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. yeah. So, so what sort of things they do to humiliate yeah, so people in the... That's a good question. Um, and does it come with like 
a weird amount of positive reinforcement afterwards yes. or before, like the push and the yeah. pull, like an abusive relationship. Exactly. Mm. Yes, you've got it. So okay. it's the same thing. Like it's the dangling of the carrot. It's mm-hmm. the love bombing at the beginning. And at the beginning, it's just love bombing, right? When they're building trust with you. Mm-hmm. And when your world slowly starts to shrink to the point that they're the only people that you trust and interact mm-hmm. with because they do systematically cut you off from your family and friends, mm-hmm. then they'll start to bring in the stick. Mm-hmm. So it's just like an abusive relationship. You go through this honeymoon period. You think this is wonderful. I'm so in love. I'm so loved. I feel so safe. And it's almost like utopian, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then eventually once you are dependent on them, they will bring in the stick and they'll start to rebuke you or accuse you of things or criticize you. Mm-hmm. And slowly the criticism starts to overtake the, mm-hmm. the love mm-hmm. And you're left in this state where I remember the first time it happened to me, Mm. I was like, I was so thrown because I was like, oh my God, like I've never experienced rebuke from them. I've never experienced any kind of hostility. And instead of me thinking, did they do something like what's wrong with them? Mm. You know, instead of me being like, well, that's their problem, not mine. My immediate response was, what did I do to make them treat me that way? And how do I get their love back. Because you think their baseline is so lovely and so loving that you must have done something really wrong and really yes, bad. Exactly. For, and yeah. Yes. And your trust is in them. You look yes. to them as your, you know, authority figures that you're, they almost represent God to you. So they can do no wrong um, when so, you're fully brainwashed. What had you done that first time? Do you remember what do. your, what your crime was at that point? Yeah, so they were incredibly strict and part of the doctrine was perfection. Mm -hmm. We had to make ourselves perfect and it was because they believed that the rapture was happening in 2012 and that was according to a Nostradamus prophecy. Um, So all very pie-in-the-sky stuff. But they would have a church service and you'd have to get dressed immaculately, Mm -hmm. you know, present yourself beautifully. And typically they would turn up 10 minutes early for a service and they'd pray for 10 minutes in silence to like prepare their hearts for the word is what they said. And uh, I was pretty new. I wasn't fully indoctrinated at that point, but I turned up about a minute before the service was due to start instead of like 10, 15 minutes before. And I I remember, and this is a very small example, but it hit me. It stuck with me. So so I remember um, knocking on the door I'd been rushing my head leader instead of opening the door with a smile and a big hug and everyone rushing to the door to greet me. She put her hand to her lips or finger to her lips and was like, stay quiet and looked at me disapprovingly, ushered me in, you know, made me sit down. No one else looked up. I felt like I'd walked in on the middle of this weird ritual or like Mm. someone's wedding vows or something. It was, it was really eerie Mm. feeling. And they were cold towards me for a bit because I hadn't, hadn't turned up exactly when they wanted mm-hmm. me to and behaved. And so it's this social conditioning aspect as yeah. well. Stonewalling, would you say as well? Like, yeah. Is that, yeah. it's that what happens? And also, do you think it's related that perfectionism appealed to you as well at the time? Because mm. it's also something that could be tied to some eating disorders mm. as well, right? Yes. It's, oh my it's God. like yeah. a link of, oh, that, that fits perfectly because mm. you want to try to control and that's how you can kind of, control like how you're what you're wearing and being on time and it's so kind of spelled out for you yeah like someone else has the control of you having full control yeah yeah 
Yeah. So it's a oh, relief almost. Totally. That's actually such a good thing to pick up on, Lem. Like, I, I agree. I think that it does appeal to that. And it's this sense that, you know, as human beings, it's easier if things are black and white. You know, it's easier if someone else tells us what to do because we don't have to use all this mental and emotional energy trying to figure it out ourselves. Mm. And so our brains look for efficiency. What a cult does or what, what religion does, what a high control organisation does, what any of these groups do give you a sense of certainty and a sense of direction that isn't something you had to come up with. It's a, oh, I know what the exact right thing to do is and I'm being told and I don't have to think about it. I just go through the motions. Mm. And I think I was raised to do that. So I think it was easier for me, mm-hmm. um, for them to target that in me, that need for certainty and um, God's direction, prescribed way to live. And I think perfectionism did play into it a lot because cults and any kind of cult will play into the idea of you've got this ideal self and you right now are flawed and imperfect and, you know, you're not living the right way and we have all the answers. Um, But you have to follow these specific steps and do these specific things. And that in a way is easier than trying to figure out how to accept yourself Mm. or love yourself or... Think about the grey areas and the nuance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so much easier. Particularly when you're 18... Yeah. You know, you're a kid. That's exactly when you're you start to think about things, right? Like I, when I was 18, yeah. I was thinking like, oh, is this right or wrong? Like you're so into the right or wrong, mm. like yes. ethical yeah. debates and yeah, shit true. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you tend to have like more of a black and white view, right? Yeah. Like yeah. depending on whatever, whoever you've been exposed to, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. I could have grown up in, you know... <laughs> What's the church that pickets? Um, um, uh, Westboro West, yeah. Westboro Baptist Church. Yes. <laughs> Look at God hates gays. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like totally, I could have grown up in that, and and because that's the only information I was fed, I have no other access to mm-hmm. any other information. I'm cut off from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to think that until I'm exposed to a new idea, and I think that is that is when critical thinking comes into play. You know, you're critically thinking when you might believe in something completely and you are so subscribed to that system of belief however if someone was to present information to you that contradicted that and provided evidence against that you'd be willing to incorporate that into your Mm -hmm. worldview and go okay I'm willing to change that because new information's been presented Mm -hmm. but when you're in a cult there's no access for that new information Mm -hmm. because you believe you have a higher truth any other truth anyone can offer you when you're Mm -hmm. fully indoctrinated and so any new information people can present to you is invalid because they don't have the higher truth. And so I guess I always I always say that to, to people on my uh, TikTok. If you believe in something so strongly that no new information presented to you could ever make you change your mind, mm. then maybe you need to assess your beliefs and mm. who is telling you them and whether there is an alternate truth because it sounds like you don't have access to your critical thinking. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I interrupted fault. you, by the way, when you were talking about the stonewalling like earlier on oh, about what you've all. done, which was Abby's question, sorry. Oh, yeah. So you walked in and they were just kind of cold to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it was the first time. Right. Mm. But I immediately learned like, okay, that's something I'm not – I'm not allowed to do. That's yep. something that I'll get disapproval for. And at that mm-hmm. point I had enough trust in them and I felt mm-hmm. close enough to them that I really wanted their approval. Like wow. I, they seemed to be living the ideal life. They were so dedicated, so kind, so committed and mm-hmm. seemed so happy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny looking back because when I was in the group, we were told we could be nothing but happy. We weren't allowed to access a full range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to be so grateful that we were saved and so grateful that we'd found the truth and be willing to do anything. And 
the leader being in prison was framed as persecution. And so any persecution he was going through, the only time we were allowed to be sad was thinking about how he was being persecuted. Okay. And was it um, that you weren't allowed to express those emotions or could you not feel any negative emotions? Was it that deep that you couldn't feel them? It was that deep. Wow. Yeah. So I think that that was one of the big contributors to me just, you know, getting very sick and, and breaking emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, physically. Yeah. But essentially when you're indoctrinated in any form, it's self-surveilling. And it, that's a very effective, efficient system of control because if, you are, if you're being surveilled only externally, then you'll do whatever you want to do in private. Mm-hmm. But indoctrination in a cult, especially in a religious cult, and this is why they mesh so well, is that there's, you know, big brother in your head. God is, Mm -hmm. he knows your every thought. He knows your every feeling. And so you self-surveil at the very deepest level. You basically have this cult pseudo-personality. And a lot of academics talk about this. You develop a pseudo-personality. It's almost Mm -hmm. like an alternate personality, which is crafted by the cult. And often everyone's the same. They want homogenous followers. Mm -hmm. And so with this pseudo-personality, you self-regulate all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, and you immediately, because they also plant phobias in your mind, and I can talk about that as well, Mm -hmm. but you cut off any doubt any negative feelings towards the group, any feeling that you're angry with authority, you're automatically conditioned to turn back on yourself. Like, well, Mm -hmm. that's my own sin Mm -hmm. that's making me think that way um, and I need to repent. So basically you you have only have access to the range of emotions they've allowed you to. And I've listened to podcasts that talk about JMS and they mention that, you know, the people in JMS have Cheshire cat smiles, which is creepy as fuck. (laughs) And it's also true. Mm. Like we were constantly smiling. We're so happy. And even when I was wasting away and and my doctor was telling me my heart was at risk of stopping, Mm -hmm. I was having daily panic attacks. I was, you know, we were all being abused. Mm-hmm. If anyone had asked me how are you, I'd be like, I'm the happiest I've ever been. So, I'm so happy. Did you go to a GP that wasn't part of the cult? Yeah, and then, eventually. <laughs> right, eventually. But yeah. because until you got so sick, you were having heart issues. Yes. Right, yes. okay, because you mm-hmm. weren't eating. Mm-hmm. And, but, and they knew you'd had an eating disorder. Correct, yeah. Do you think they were doing that? Was it everyone didn't eat or was it that you particularly were kind of honed in on because of um, your history with an eating disorder, do you think? No, so like a little bit of both, but it was quite complex because we essentially what they did was they brought in these new health measures and that was part of the being perfect, right? Mm. So we had to not only like, you know, pray a perfect amount and sleep as little as possible and do everything and we would just run off our feet busy, but we also had to perfect our physical selves. Mm. And so our head leader would start weight coaching us and for most of the members it was you need to lose this much and because I was sick, it was, you need to put on weight. Mm. Um, but the health information they brought in was from, from one of the doctors in Providence mm. in, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And he basically like assessed each of us and, and gave us a new diet plan and just restricted our food like dramatically. And I'd been recovering from an eating disorder. So I was getting mm. much better. I was uh, on the path to full recovery before I met them. But then with the stress, psychological and mental and um, emotional, and then with these new health rules, you know, because when you're recovering from an eating disorder, as I'm sure many people can relate to you, you cling to structure. Mm. And so I had my safe foods and my safe meals and they basically took all of those away and said, you can't eat those things anymore. We weren't allowed to have breakfast at one point because apparently that was bad for you. It was all about cleansing Mm. toxins out of your body. 
So we were getting up at two, right? Mm -hmm. And we weren't allowed to eat until about 12 p.m. <coughs> 2 a.m. to 12 p.m. Oh, my God. Yeah. 10 hours so, Yeah, awake. so we're running on nothing. Extremely physical work, by the way. Um, running on nothing What sort of work then. were you doing? So, I mean, it sounds so silly. We were made to, like, do – so we were doing modelling modeling front groups. Mm -hmm. So we hours of walking practice. They'd yeah. flown – an actual supermodel who was in the cult in South Korea to Canberra, Australia, wow. to teach us how to teach other girls to model so that our front groups could be legitimate. Wow. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. um, so we would do hours of walking practice, mm -hmm. posing practice. We had dancers, which, God, don't look them up there. Just awful. <laughs> um, and uh, and we would we would be cleaning. We had a very strict cleaning roster. Everything had mm -hmm. to be perfect in the house, and we'd have like black marks against our name if we left so much as a speck of dust on anything. And mm -hmm. if we had three black marks, then we I think had to spend half a day cleaning as well, like mm -hmm. extra as punishment. Um, so there was that. I was going to uni at the same time. Oh, evangelizing wow. on the street, you know, multiple church services a day. And then I was also working part-time to pay my way. So I was working in a cafe. To pay um, your way oh in the church? Yeah. Were you paying the church? Oh, uh, yeah. The quote-unquote yeah. church, the cult. Yes. You were paying the cult? Yes. And How also, much? Oh, uh, well, like not much. I didn't have much income. And mm -hmm. then, uh, okay, so this is the scary part, right? So at... I didn't, none of us had much. Some, some members worked more, so they contributed more, but we basically contributed every, everything we had um, in addition to the tithe. But they also have tax exempt status here in Australia because yes. they are registered as a religion, as a charity. Not only that, but when I started to get too sick to work, I had to quit my job because I was just too weak and I couldn't keep it up. And my head leader told me, you need to go to Centrelink and you need to it just, it makes my heart sink even talking about it. You need to go to Centrelink and claim that your dad is abusing you. And and they'll give you money so that we, you can pay your way that way. So not only, and, and that is the so, one thing, that is the one thing that I'm so grateful I didn't do. I oh, didn't do it. I could not, I could not go through God. it with it. My dad is, is one of the most beautiful people in the world. Mm. And at that point in time, he was starting to get Alzheimer's and he, you know, by the time I came out, he would have been too unwell to kind of realign where we were at. So yeah. in his head. So that would have been one of the last things that he would have remembered about me as his daughter is claiming that he'd abused oh me oh being on his record. And I know because I've had other mothers contact me, their daughters have been told to do the same thing. Mm. So they are not only, and I <laughs> hope I don't get stalked for saying this because they do do that, but they're not only getting yeah. tax-exempt status, but they are. Is that fraud? Because I feel like that's it is fraud. I think, that is fr I think it's fraud, yes. But yes. the problem they, is the coercive control is yes. still not part of our legislation, so that's technically exactly. she yes. would not be considered she, to uh, do anything wrong. Yeah, in the yeah. UK it is. In wow. 2015 they passed yeah. a, um, a law that Did coercive they? control was illegal, yeah. Mm. Wait, so let's let's go back to this this timeline. So in mm. eight months you're living with you're living with in, in this house in Canberra mm -hmm. with how many people? Oh, it was about nine of us. Nine people. Yeah. And you're not sleeping, sleeping four hours a day, not eating. Mm. You're cut off from your friends and family. How yeah. long were you in that that kind of state for? And in this in this spotlight episode on, on Seven, yeah. there was a moment where your dad came to try and get you out. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, so I was in the house for, I would say, nearly a year uh, before I ended up in hospital. So... At the point that my dad came to get me out, the backstory was that I had left, I'd moved out, obviously, mm -hmm. 
but I'd accidentally left some papers, some sermons under my bed in my childhood bedroom. Okay. And my mum found them. And so she used that to research the group because she had been feeling weird about it for a while. She right. was like, why are you spending so much time with these people? What's going on? But were your parents Christian? Yeah. So they're like, oh, it's just another Christianity, Christian sect. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. And to the point that, you know, to help my mum feel more comfortable, they'd run a whole fake church service for her. They were like, come over on Sunday. Well, you can join our service. Wow. And they do this for parents. They run fake church services. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, yeah, it's just a nice little <sighs> Christian church. Yeah. But she was still kind of sus. And she saw me getting up super early and, you know, being sleep deprived and spending all my time with them mm-hmm. before I moved out. And so she was worried. And uh, and I was like, mom, isn't this what you want for me? Like I'm hanging out with Christians. You know, mm-hmm. I could be, could be doing drugs. Yeah. I, you know, like, but she researched it. And on one of the visits, I was very rarely allowed to see my parents mm-hmm. when I moved out. But I'd visited her, I think for lunch. Mm-hmm. And she dropped me off at the house and she pulled out these papers when she stopped. And she was like, Liz, um, I found some papers under your bed and I've been researching and I think you should have a look at this. Mm-hmm. And now my response, because they plant, back to the phobias, they plant phobias in your mind. Mm-hmm. So what they told us was if you ever Google the group, once I was fully indoctrinated, mm-hmm. if you ever Google the group, uh, if you ever, you know, listen to slander, that's like committing spiritual suicide. <gasps> and so you will destroy your faith um, and then you'll lose, you know, basically you, you'll lose your faith and you will go to hell. And because you knew the truth and you then deny it, that's the worst sin. You even acknowledge any information that is contrary to the beliefs of the of the group. Yes. Wow. And if you open your mind to that, that is allowing Satan in. Mm-hmm. And also if you leave, you'll have the most terrific life imaginable. You'll, mm. you'll be miserable forever and you'll go to hell. Mm. And so immediately my fight or flight system kicks in when she when she pulls out those papers and I was literally terrified. Like I was like, do not, I, get them out of my face. I will mm-hmm. not read those. Don't ever talk to me about the cult again because you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I slammed the door and I ran inside. And then I told my head leader and my head leader, obviously everyone's on high alert. My mum's outside, mm-hmm. poor thing, like just would have been a nightmare for her. Mm-hmm. They told me to just remain vigilant. Obviously talk to me later about not being able to see her again. And then she went, she left and she came back with my father. Same day? Yes. Okay. Same day. Basically what, as far as I remember, same day. And basically what she she got him to do was just go out the front and knock on the front door. And they saw this happening and they told me, go hide in the closet. Mm-hmm. And so I hid in the closet and they got, I know, I'm seeing Oscar just. Oscar's face. Yeah, so, wow. <gasps> it's just f- full on, this story. I'm so yeah, into it. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh. It's pretty intense, isn't it? It's, it's like I'm talking about someone else, but yeah. yeah. So you're so hiding they, in the closet. Yep, hiding in the closet. Uh, he comes there. and knocks on the door. Have you? Oh, no, yeah. no, I mean, I mean sexually. Sorry, I was not making a clear joke. No. I made the same joke on my TikTok. I was like, they eventually told me I could come out of the closet. And I was like, not that kind of closet. That was years later. <laughs> but um, so she, they, they got a leader to go to the front. Uh, not, he knocked on the door. She opened the door, pretended she couldn't speak any English, right? Mm. So she was speaking in Korean at him. He was trying to speak in English to her. He was raising his voice because he's like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. Um, not in his words. He's very religious. But mm. he was getting distressed. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing them talking and her just obviously just pretending she had no idea what he was talking about. And, you know, he was saying my name. She didn't, she, oh, she's not here. She's not here. And then they closed the door. And dad was still yelling outside, like, what's going on, calling for me. And I was just 
staying in the closet. Mm. And then eventually he got in the car, the car idled for a while and he, they drove away. And then I was told I could come out of the closet. <laughs> and, um, and then essentially what my head leader, because that, that scared them, that kind of put them off. I was due to head to Korea, South Korea, mm. the next day or maybe two days later. She said, we need to leave now. So uh, we have a big van, which is just classic cult, big van. Yeah. And she got me to get in the back of the van, <laughs> pack all my stuff really quickly. They threw a blanket over me in the back of the van mm-hmm. and they drove me wow. out of Canberra like that. Um, and then we and stayed. At this yeah. point, are you thinking, thank God I'm getting away from someone trying to show me because uh, the phobia is so strong mm. and the information that is against the cult? Are you thinking, oh my God, thank God I'm getting out of here? Or are you starting to be like, this is. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Good. I. It's hard because there was, a, you know, obviously the brainwashed part of me mm. that was mostly active. And then there's a little part inside of you where you've got this tiny little bit of intuition that you really don't have access to, but it's still there. Mm. And I think that part of me was probably screaming, but the predominant part of me was like, this is crazy. I need to get out of here. I'm relieved that I'm being taken mm. away because they're threatening my, you know, salvation. Mm. Um, and also... It felt like I was kind of, you know, we, we all thought we were in the end times. And so mm. I, it was, felt like I was just part of this epic Bible story, like, which is insane. Yeah. But when you're 18 mm. and you've also yeah. been a Christian your whole life, you're yeah. like, oh, it's actually happening. What I've been told my whole life is true. And this is just totally. the most extreme version of it. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And also um, there's that psychological effect of people in cults who go through persecution or hardship together, Mm. that's a form of trauma bonding. So it actually Mm. can make them dig that, you know, get in deeper in a cult, you know, hardship brings them together Mm. and, you know, makes them feel like, yeah, well, persecution is part of being, you know, representative of the truth. Mm -hmm. And so there's that, that to it as well. So what, what were the actual beliefs that you were practicing in this cult? It was the end Mm. times are coming in 2012. Yeah. And you had this uh, this one leader. I apologise. How do we pronounce his name? Oh, um, Jong Myung Suk. Jong Myung Suk. Yes. So you have this serial rapist leader mm-hmm. um, who is imprisoned at the time that you are in the cult. Yes. What are the beliefs around him mm. and your other day to day beliefs? They vary much from evangelical Christianity. Not on the surface, but under the Underneath. surface. Yes. Okay. Yes. In what ways? Yeah, good question. So at the beginning, yeah, it's all, all the Bible studies that I went through were focused on the Bible and Christianity and they weren't in any way controversial. Mm -hmm. As I got further in, they started to plant little bits and pieces, like little Easter eggs in Mm -hmm. these sermons. They started to bring in timelines, Nostradamus prophecies, Mm -hmm. um, and they started to tell me stories about this pastor, they called him in Korea. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, why do they keep bringing this guy up? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, what's the deal with this guy? He sounds very committed, but like he was doing outrageous things like fasting for 70 days. And Mm. he read the Bible 2000 times, which I calculated would take 31 years without sleep. So it's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I did that at the time or afterwards? After. After. Thank God. You were asleep one night, you go, hang on. Hang on. times. Um, I wish I had Mm. earlier, but yeah. So, so I was like, what's going on with this dude? And as I got further in and as I, my trust started to build with them, they started to suggest that maybe 
we're not in the New Testament anymore. Maybe we're in this new timeline of the next period of history. So we've got the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've got the New Testament and we've got the Complete Testament. And so their suggestion was Old Testament is where we are in a position of servants to master, us to Mm -hmm. God. And then in the New Testament, because of Jesus, we are sons to God the Father. And then in the Complete Testament, we are brides of God. So that's what their doctrine is based upon, which is the Complete Testament, you're you're a bride of God. And it took me a long time to come around to that because obviously I'd been raised with different beliefs, Mm -hmm. but they really do a good job of weaving Bible verses in um, Mm -hmm. and scripture to support what they're saying. They, Mm -hmm. They twist it to the nth degree, Mm. but very subtly at first. And so you don't know it's actually happening until you're much further down the line. All the other things at play, sleep deprivation, social isolation, Mm. you know, love bombing, all of those different aspects. And I remember the last Bible study where they told me, actually, this is who Jong is. He is is the Messiah of the Mm. complete testament. And I was just like, I was shocked. And they said, "Go, go home and pray about it. And I definitely did. I went home and I prayed. I was crying. I was praying for hours. Like, God, can please tell me, like, bear in mind, this was in, after five months of conditioning. Mm-hmm. God, please tell me, you know, give me a sign that this is real or not. And I cannot explain this. And I don't know how this happened. But at the time, I felt like divinely inspired to, to walk to the bookshelf mm-hmm. and to pick out a book from my parents' bookshelf, which was written by a Christian prophet that they liked. Mm-hmm. And I opened it to a random page and I remember the first sentence I saw in that page was something along the lines of, it's time, the time has come for God's brides to stand up. <gasps> and I was like, oh like, my God, it's true. <laughs> oh my God. It's wild, right? And after coming out, I have had so many conversations with people, including Amy, who I filmed with the documentary in South Korea this year. So many people have similar stories of these wildly coincidental experiences mm. which convince them that this is the truth. And the only way I can explain it is, you know, what what might mean nothing to someone who isn't brainwashed mm-hmm. could mean everything to someone yes. who's brainwashed. And that goes a long way of keeping people in as well because they might see something like a blackbird or something mm. if they're having doubts and be like, well, that's say, God's telling me Satan's mm-hmm. getting into my head. You know, that sort of thing. It's the most extreme confirmation bias. Yes, And I guess exactly. if they're using scripture that already exists and twisting it and changing the context of the connotations or whatever, yeah. you could open up any Christian book and perhaps there'd be a line that would, you go, oh, that reminds me of this one totally. thing. Although the bride thing is bizarre. Yeah. Like that is a very specific phrase for you to see in a right. book. Yeah. Were, were you able to, because like I've also mm. grew up like massively reading the Bible and everything. And did you? Yeah, I, I did. And actually none of my family members were religious, but I was, I think, right. looking for that certainty that you were talking about earlier. Right. And then there's the, a story there. <laughs> there is, yeah. But stories about you today, Liz. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> did you have that space to kind of critically come back to them with responses? Like, for example, mm. you'd go like, but in Christianity, you know, lusting is meant to be a sin. So how is God, for example, looking at a bride? And yeah. wouldn't that entail a sexual element, which shouldn't be, you know, yeah. was there any room for this back and forth? Because like in Islam, for example, in like a very conservative context, you cannot mm. question anything, right? Like it's right. part of that teaching. When you're questioning, that means the devil is in you or whatever mm. it is. Mm-hmm. So is it the same or did you have room? It's the same. Okay. When when you are indoctrinated, but it's at the beginning, certainly you can. And I think uh, my weakness there was that I'd never learned to question or critically think mm. to, to that degree because I had been raised to, 
be a faith without sight. Mm. And so I trusted them because I thought they were Christians. And uh, and then the further along it got, you know, I, I would occasionally have questions and there were moments where I was a bit like, hang on a minute, this is weird. But they have answers for everything because they've been doing this since mm-hmm. the 70s. And they also, you know, they know they know how to get around it and they take their cues from other cultic organisations as mm-hmm. well. So any question that I would ask, they'd have a somewhat logical sounding answer to. Wow. Um, and when it came to the sexual side of things, I was so naive at the time mm. that I had no idea that there was any sexual tone to this until I got much further in. And then it was kind of framed to me. And you learn to explain these things away yourself. Mm. You, you have cognitive dissonance and then you go, what's a reasonable explanation for this? And the only reasoning you have access to is the reasoning that they have given you, the framework mm. that they have implanted in your mm. brain. So you use their reasoning to understand something you don't understand. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and so when it came to the sexual element, I was like, this must be a spiritual kind of level that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is the way that they talked about it and framed it. And I remember my leader, you know, at one point saying, um, because he'd chosen me to be like one of his like nuns, one of his brides, basically Mm -hmm. never get married and live your life following him. And I had no idea that it was sexual. But then his letters started to be suggestive. Okay, so this conversation went for a bit longer than expected. Liz has such an amazing story. So we decided to make this one a two-parter. In part two, Liz is going to talk to us about leaving the cult and also being deprogrammed and what that exactly entailed. Such an amazing story. If you'd like to follow Liz on TikTok, she is Liz the Former and everything will be linked in the show notes. Part two will be out tomorrow, so um, keep an eye out. Listener Production.